Reverend Dr. Mary Clark Moschella, we're so glad you're here today to talk with us on 3-Minute Ministry Mentor. Well, thank you so much. It's a joy to be here. And you're coming to us from uh, Yale Divinity School, where you're the Roger J. Squire Professor of Pastoral Theology. That's correct. <laughs> and we're glad that you could take some time. I know for more than a decade now, you have been uh, probably closer to two, two decades. You've been um, studying the lives of religious people and teaching and preparing ministers and other religious leaders for their work. And so we're grateful that you'll share from your wisdom and your uh, learnings over these years with us. Uh, especially we're focused on trying to talk to folks who are in the beginning stages of learning ministry. So what a gift to have you here today. So let's start our conversation by talking about that enduring pastoral skill of listening. I noticed that it runs through all of your research and of course it must run through all of your teaching. Um, and what would you say is the significance of listening for the practice of ministry? Well, um, I would say that listening is really at the heart of ministry and not only ministry but relationships friendships family ties um, teaching i think by listening i mean really paying attention to yeah. people to all of who they are and just the wonder of another human being yeah is there, a, is there a moment in your own life where it became clear to you that you needed to pay attention to how you listened in a different way or there was a turning point where it just sort of dawned on you, oh, I've got to give this more attention in my life? Well, um, I, thi I think back to a time when I was a pastor and um, I was called in to visit a parishioner who mm. had gone into the hospital and we'll call him Bob. Bob had congestive heart disease and he had been resuscitated too many times. Mm. And so we knew that the next time it happened, it was going to be the last time. Mm. So when I went to the hospital, you know, I came into the room and there was his wife and there were the doctors around him and he, he was you know, uh, looking, his eyes were closed, he was lying back on the table. I didn't know if he was awake or aware or what was going on. Mm. But I tried to just take in the cues of, of what was there. And I remembered um, from my CPE training, <laughs> one thing I remembered was they told us people can sometimes hear when everything else isn't, doesn't look like they're really there with you. Mm. So I thought, what brilliant, caring thing can I say? And I said, we're with you, Bob. And he came up from the table, turned and looked at me, and he said, I'll always be with you. Wow. And I was so, you know, deeply moved by that. And it just kind of brought home to me, like, the importance of paying attention, being present. Um, that's like, you know, a fuller understanding of listening for me. Yeah, what an amazing story. I had a real emotional response to that story, so I know it must have been a very powerful I moment. I certainly have never forgotten it or, or him. Yeah, of course not, of <laughs> yeah. course not. It's very meaningful. 
How do you uh, work to help students to hone those skills of listening? Well, it's kind of like mm -hmm. learning the scales when you're trying to, you know, learn to play a musical instrument. Some people say, well, I play by ear, I don't need that. But we're really trying to teach um, kind of a, a different way of, you know, active listening, really paying attention. And so we have a lot of practice in small groups mm -hmm. and um, we try to make it like an immersion so that like if you were learning a language, you would want to mm. be immersed in it. You want to do it regularly yeah. so that they'll learn it in their bones. In their bones. I love that. <laughs> One of the other things I noticed about what you've written um, is that you're thinking about listening, certainly to hear the other person in their deep experience, but also to bring the listener to a kind of prophetic voice and being able to speak into a situation in, in a, a way that demands or calls for change. Um, what would you say about how you have uh, found that to be important in the work of ministry? Well, I think, it, you know, people come to a, a minister or pastoral caregiver for a reason. There are many other helpers out there that they could go to, mm. but that usually um, when they choose to come, to a ministry professional, um, they're thinking about the deeper questions of life. Mm. And I feel like it's important to um, invite them to reflect, you know, on, on what gives their lives meaning. Um, you know, in some cases where they feel God is calling them, mm. what they give value to mm. in their lives. And it seems to me that those kind of questions help people um, really reflect and um, recognize that, you know, what's important to them, what matters to them. And then that spurs more recognition, I think, of, of uh, the prophetic needs of our times. Yeah. yeah. The things that are shaping people's lives and not just in their personal experience, but these larger shaping forces yeah. that come to bear. Is that the kind of thing you have in mind? Yeah. I mean, a lot of uh, needs cry out to us, yeah. right? And we can't respond to all of them. But living, breathing, being aware of the world around us, the politics of our lives and other people's, um, if we start to, you know, pay attention mm -hmm. um, and try to discern um, a call within it, I think, I think, um, you know, the prophets <laughs> uh, are part of that. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. In your first book, um, Living Devotions, uh, which was the research you did in San Pedro, California, a couple of hours from where we're sitting right now. Correct. Uh, on the coast, uh, a Catholic church yes. uh, and community uh, near the sea, um, which w it was St. Saint, Saint Mary Star of the Sea. Is yeah, the, Mary the Star of the Sea. Mary Star of the Sea, yeah. right. Um, in, in a chapter of that book, you write about the importance of seeing and being seen. Uh -huh. And I uh, want to read a little, one little quote okay. here from that. It says, whether or not we are conscious of it, landscapes, architecture, and art inevitably contribute to our experience and interpretation of the world. 
I think, uh, you know, in our line of work as pastoral theologians, we emphasize listening a lot. Um, but I wonder what you've also learned about, and you've already been talking to us about it, but tell us more about what you've learned about pastoral seeing. Um, how do we listen with our eyes? It's a great question. I, I just think it's uh, so important to take a look at people's lives, you know, take a look at where they live, their mm -hmm. homes, if, if you are so privileged to be invited to their homes, um, to look at the landscapes, uh, both um, uh, geographic landscapes, but also cultural landscapes mm -hmm. of their lives. Mm -hmm. You know, what are they reading? What are they watching on television? How does their home look? What are the what are the pictures they see? What is what does the church building yeah. say to them? So I think it's enormously important to try to take in the fullness there. Right. Is there a story from that time when you uh, were living in that community and learning from them, where you saw the the living devotions come uh, to life? Well, because this uh, group of folks used a lot of uh, visual reminders for, to help center them in their devotions. Mm. And so there was a lot of religious art on the walls, crucifix, little statue here. And the woman I was interviewing saw me looking. Yeah. And she said, everywhere you look, you see God. Mm. And I thought, yeah, that's, that's what the devotions are. It's a way of living where you have little reminders all around you yeah. that God is right there in the ordinary life, you know, in the kitchen, you know, bedroom altars, yeah. hallway altars, backyard altars, all of these little reminders that life is sacramental. Yeah, yeah. How do you help the students who come through your classrooms uh, begin to see the world in a way where they might notice, like uh, this woman in your study, God is everywhere. How do you help them to hone those skills of the pastoral seeing? Well, um, one thing uh, we do in the introductory pastoral care course is um, to invite people to, well, assign people, <laughs> uh, give them the assignment of doing what we call a mini ethnography. Okay. And so they are invited to choose a ministry setting mm -hmm. that might be a little bit challenging to their comfort level okay. and to go and have a visit there and observe and take notes, but also have prearranged to have an interview, to interview a caregiver in that setting. Mm. So that they can try to get this kind of um, holistic look around and take in as much as they can. And then when they leave, they write down field notes mm -hmm. and um, reflect on it, reflect on it in light of our readings and so forth. Right. So I just think that's one way of, you know, kind of getting people to um, recognize um, the fullness of a situation. Yeah. Are there particular lenses you hope they learn to see through? Sure. Um, well, you know, social lenses. So if someone goes to a, a homeless shelter, mm -hmm. they're going to notice 
you know, probably poverty. And um, they're going to notice <laughs> people struggling along, but uh, making do in their own ways. So the, and they'll, they'll, they'll pay attention to things like race and gender and, um, you know, social location of people. We certainly think that it's important that that's mm -hmm. part of, you know, recognizing someone's situation. Right, yeah. right. How do you help them learn to tune or, or uh, focus those lenses in a way that they can notice the holy? Yeah, well, I think, again, um, well, we invite them to ask questions mm. that bring that up in mm. a way. Yeah. You know, in a way that's appropriate, hopefully, yeah. um, to the setting they're visiting. But they, when they identify themselves as a divinity student, uh -huh. um, people start thinking about that. So they ask questions. So it's kind of like, um, I think they learn that just even having that identity going there, mm -hmm. people are going to want to engage on that level. Yeah. But I also invite them when they write up their mini ethnography to see if there's an image or a metaphor uh -huh. that comes to mind that helps them kind of describe the setting or sort of what they learn there. And I think that is a, another way of coming at, you know, theological reflection. Yeah, it for sure is a beautiful way to just notice what, what images or what ideas sort of rise up or yeah. crystallize, yeah? Yeah. I love that, that's great. In your book, Ethnography as Pastoral Practice, uh, you're introducing um, wonderful skills of listening and seeing and asking good questions and noticing. Um, and even though most uh, students maybe that you teach uh, at Yale Divinity School are probably not going to become ethnographers, maybe a few of them will. Um, I still am, am wondering about how doing that work of ethnography yourself and how you assign students, uh, many ethnography sometimes, what, what kinds of, how does that translate then to, you know, pastoral skills who, for chaplains, for pastors, for youth ministers, for activists even, uh, talk about that sort of translation between learning to do good ethnography and learning to be a, a good enough pastor. Okay. So I think of um, ethnography as a pastoral practice, when it's done in that way, as really um, a way of listening to a community mm. or a congregation, mm. a group of people. So we have, you know, skills for listening to one person, but what does it mean to listen to um, what the group, the group might be telling you, what mm. the group's needs are, what their shared meanings are? Tom Frank wrote a book where he talks about um, developing an ethnographic disposition. Ah. And I think that's really what I w would be helpful in congregations or in many ministries, right. that if, um, clergy and other religious leaders um, connect with people in a way that is um, more curious and open to learning mm -hmm. as opposed to 
presenting ourselves as you know religious experts or authorities yeah then that to me that's an ethnographic disposition it, it kind of signals openness right um, a, a sense of um, equality yeah. between people and um, recognizing that um, everyone um, can be can think theologically everyone has a sense of what they value mm. and that can be um, if we pay attention to that we sort of um, recognize um, the wisdom and uh, calling that people have and that groups have. Yeah. Sarah, a story from your, um, your either your years of teaching or, you know, uh, working with uh, students who are learning this practice or maybe just your own experience where it's really becomes evident that listening to the community mattered and made a big difference that maybe, you know, I'm thinking about some stories that come out of your book that sort of ring a bell for me about, um, you know, how people listen to the community in, in this particular ethnographic way, and it brought up some important aspect of their life together, made change. Well, I'm just thinking of um, one student's experience that, that has kind of stuck with me. I'm not sure whether I mention it in the book or not. But um, this was a student who uh, was a, a demon student who had just had a um, kind of a failed experiment in ministry mm. in her congregation. Mm. And what a lot of courage to go back to that and really decide to try mm. to understand what happened, mm. right? So it, I think I admired her courage in doing that. So she, um, she interviewed the people who had been active in the ministry to try to find out what went wrong. And wow. part of what went wrong was really a disconnect with her. Mm. But if she hadn't done the study, she wouldn't have known. Yeah. Right? I mean, sometimes we know something didn't go quite well in our ministry, but we don't know why or what we did wrong if we did. So to have the courage to ask people and to have a kind of, you know, matter of fact way of doing that, oh, would you mind filling out this survey or can we just talk about this and answer a few questions? Um, I think the, re the response was people were, people were still unhappy about what had happened, mm -hmm. but they were profoundly grateful to be asked mm. to explain, you know, yeah. their side of it and I think they felt more understood moving forward in ministry right. together. So I think it improved the quality of the relationship between mm. the pastor and the, and the congregation. Yeah, you know, it reminds me so much of this moment that we talk about in the, the work I do of trying to learn how ministers learn over time. And mm -hmm. there's this sort of switch that happens between trying to insert yourself into a situation out of, you know, a, a, a a profound desire to do it well, yes. and also a lot of anxiety, probably. <laughs> and then there comes a moment where something, you know, go, starts going the other direction, right? And you, you stop trying to put yourself forward and start to really listen in a different way to the situation. Um, but it seems to me like what you're offering is, a, in many ways, a set of skills to help people get there a little faster. <laughs> uh -huh. Yes, and you know, ethnography can seem like a scary word or like it's some big serious deal, but um, 
there's another way to think about it, and I think this sort of ethnographic disposition in ministry is, is one way to yeah. do it.